0: Welcome to episode 102 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we sat down with Adam
1: McKella. He is currently a designer at Airbnb. Previously, he was at Dropbox, Facebook, Gowalla, and lots of other places in between. He's started startups. A really fascinating guy. We dig into his backstory. But you'll hear all that in just a minute. <laughs> You're going to hear all about it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we had him in our new studio. This was our first Design Details in our new studio in Bryn's apartment. Uh, so let us know how it sounds. Give us feedback. We're on Twitter at design details FM. If you want to chat with us, join our Slack team. There's over 3000 designers and developers in there talking about the latest in tools and news. And every Friday we do a public critique. So if you want to share your work and get a critique by some of our favorite designers,
0: Join us at spec.fm slash slack. You can also go into iTunes and give us a review there. That would be super awesome. Every rating we get pushes it up the charts. You may be seeing us in iTunes more frequently soon. That'll be pretty neat. That's it. Let's get into this episode with
1: Adam McKella.
2: Hey, my name is Adam. I work at Airbnb and lead the experience architecture team. I have two kids and we love snowboarding.
0: Yeah, we're going snowboarding next week. Nice. When this it's comes actually, out, right? Actually, I bailed out. What? what? Yeah, yesterday. Wait, oh,
1: no. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Damn. Mm-hmm. Well, that's too bad, man. I'm sending a um,
2: awesome guy in my place, though. Kari Saarinen. I okay. don't know if you know him.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So you're a big snowboarder? Yeah, I enjoy it. Where do you go? Mostly Tahoe uh, and Utah. Are you going to the Maybe.
2: Montes? I might. I'm um, going to see if I can make something happen there. Nice.
1: So for you in particular, we wanted to start super early. How did you become a designer and why did you care about becoming a designer? Hmm. Um, When I was a kid, I was
2: always like very artistic. And um, when I was a teenager, I got into, I was also very rebellious. So I got into graffiti and um, got in quite a bit of trouble for a number of years. um, Spray painting. Oh, man. And uh, at one point, um, someone decided the solve for that was to get me a computer, and so that was probably 1994. How or long did it take like you to spray paint it? <laughs> well, I, I I didn't spray paint the computer, but quickly discovered MS Paint. And, yes, the spray uh, the spray of, can. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Um, you took your skills to the digital age. That icon was just the hook. That's all it took. <laughs>
2: exactly. And, um, yeah, so that was, you know, like I said, like 19, 1995, I guess. And Windows 95 was the operating system that it had. And um, it, you know, would, like, crash every day. And, like, I'd have to, like, reformat and install an in operating system. So that pretty Defraged. quickly. Yeah, exactly. Figured out what that meant. God, defragging. Um, and so pretty quickly got into like the the technical aspects of the, the thing that was in front of me. And um, once I did that, uh, I sort of taught myself to program in a pretty short amount of time. And um, what did you start with? I think the first thing I programmed with was Visual Basic. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, from there I did some C++ and stuff eventually like Pearl and all sorts of things. All self-taught.
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, And so as soon as I, I sort of figured out how to program, I uh, wanted to build an app. And the idea that I had was um, to build an app for sending mass mails, mass emails on AOL. Um, That was a thing back in the day. And The reason I wanted to do do that was all of the mass mailing programs are really ugly. So um, it was called Aesthetic Mass Mailer. And the whole purpose was to make a pretty. To look good. (laughs) Nice. nice. Yeah, to look good. Um, So that's sort of how I
1: got into software design. Okay. And so what happened next? You like built a little app? Built lots of things. Did it go anywhere? Um, Oh, I don't know. I don't even
2: remember. I think I built lots of things like that, and you know, the thirty people that were on AOL at the time may might have used them. Um, built some like messaging apps,
1: like some ICQ type variants. Okay. Um, How old were you during this this period when you were building all this? Uh, Mid teens. Okay. Yeah,
2: and uh, I guess it would have been probably about thirteen or fourteen when that oh. around then. And some years later, well, uh, actually pretty quickly thereafter, the the web started to be a thing and I got into that and so started making websites and that, you know, was something that happened to be in really high demand really quickly. Um, this was like going into the dot-com boom. And so I started a little company when I was like 14 and started making websites for, for people. Did lots of little things, you know, small businesses and stuff. And then somehow, uh, got introduced to some telecom company that was, they put satellites in orbit or something and they needed a website. And so that was my first like real, like, you know, made some money and, uh, realized like actually it could be like a job. Um,
1: did they know you were 14?
2: I don't think they realized. No. (laughs) And, I. I did a pretty bad job too, yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: They're like, it looks like a 14-year-old made this.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some pretty big mistakes as well, so. um, so like an enterprise company hired a 14-year-old. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can imagine how That's hard amazing. that would be to sell this these days. <laughs> but at least they did cool shit, like putting satellites in orbit. Right, exactly. I mean, I guess there just wasn't that many people back you then. You could say it was where... like a, a Starship Enterprise. Oh.
1: Okay. Whoa. 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 To... All right, we're good. Pun game on point tonight. Okay. right. I'm going to have to up mine. <laughs> yeah. Don't try and match because yeah. it's an impossible feat. Get to know. That's
0: untrue.
2: You're looking pretty confident, so I'll <laughs> stay, stay out of that. Yeah, so after that, um, did that for a number of years, just you know, making making websites and such. And then um, graduated high school, and this was like 1999. Um, there was huge demand for that skill set. So I immediately went to work and got a gig at a company called Ontu, um, which built sort of video... Uh, they made video compression uh, software. Um, so you
0: were basically Silicon Valley.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, actually, it was exactly that.
0: <laughs> Embodied um, in one man.
2: And exactly. And so... <laughs> That was in, uh, I lived in upstate New York, and they were actually originally from, you know, my town, but had sort of moved the headquarters to New York City, but kept for some reason an engineering division in, um, in Albany, which is where I'm from. Yeah, somehow got lucky enough to fall into that and did that for some number of years. Okay.
1: At what point did you make it out, out west to California? A uh, long time after that. Oh, so so we <laughs> were skipping ground.
2: Yeah. So I moved to to California about five years ago. Okay. And um in and that on two was
1: nineteen ninety-nine. So Okay. So let's <laughs> let's dig in. What happened after on two? Uh so I worked there for a while and
2: then the um the dot com bubble burst. And eventually, that company went near bankrupt, laid me off as well as most of the company, um, fired the CEO, got delisted from the New York Stock Exchange. And that was that. Uh, They actually went on to um, uh, (laughs) a very small core team, stuck together, um, uh, sort of... (laughs) shepherded the core product, which was the video compression um, software, and um, eventually sort of brought that back to life. And it was uh, adopted by Macromedia uh, as Flash video. And um, they...
0: uh, So are you saying we have you to blame for Flash?
2: Yes, sort of. (laughs) Kind (laughs) of. Kind of. I also did some Flash development for them. Action script and so on. But yeah, so they, they uh, eventually made it into Flash Video, which then became huge with YouTube. And then Google bought them um, for a bunch of money uh, long after I failed to buy my options. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> no. Yeah. So that was my uh, .com story. Oh, man. And then so after that, um, I sort of went back to being, you know, a, a person in his early 20s and did early 20s things for a while. Um,
1: <laughs> early 20s things <laughs> let's gloss over these years Yeah, on to the next thing <laughs>
2: worked various places okay. um, let's see and then um, started a little company where I started sort of trying to make products this was sort of like the web 2.0 era and um, you know Rails was a thing and sort of Ajax was a thing and, and um, got sort of into that um, type of stuff and Sort of did like the typical half product company, half like freelance thing or, um, you know, for a while. Um, Didn't do anything particularly successful with that, but I did um, end up making a little forum uh, just totally on the side for the brand of car I had, which was an Acura at the time. And I ended up selling that somehow to a company called Internet Brands at one point in the mid-2000s. Good name, strong name. Yeah, decided to consolidate like all of the forums in the world. What and, did
0: they do? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, they, they, uh, they, they bought my forum of all things. Your first acquisition. Yeah, At first what first acquisition. Um, it was probably 25.
0: How were the golden handcuffs? Were there any
2: golden handcuffs? No, that was part of the negotiation. Or was nice. it not want to work for internet
0: brands. <laughs> you don't want that on your resume. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, it, it would be. Would people prob- think that would have been a good thing? I
0: would people think that was a company, <laughs> internet brands? Yeah, but which developer? Ones? <laughs> which
2: which brands? They're actually a huge public company. All of them. So Cars Direct. Do you know that?
0: I've heard of it. <laughs> well, it makes me uncomfortable thing. thinking about it.
2: Oh, you guys are so young. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's that's internet
1: brands. Basically. Okay. Okay. Uh, so you negotiated your way out of working with them.
2: Yeah. So I sold that off, and then. Um, You know, sort of kept doing my own thing for a little while. And then um, my wife and I um, decided to... Somewhere uh, in there you got married. Somewhere in there I got married. I had a kid. (laughs) Early 20s things. Oh, oh. Mid mid 20s at this point. Mid 20s things. Um, Yeah, so when I was 26, I had my first son. And um, shortly thereafter, uh, we decided to to leave um, where we were living. Um, oh, actually, so also somewhere in there, I worked at the New York Times for a while, actually, oh. which was um, kind of a big deal for me. <laughs> yeah. You uh, forgot. And, uh, so I forgot about deal. this
1: pivotal moment in my life. <laughs> God, I mean, this, we're talking a long time ago. <laughs> oh, come on, like 10 years. <laughs> um, all right.
2: So, See yeah, you at the so, New York Times. Actually, so what happened was... Um, like I said, uh, Ajax was like a thing um, at some point. And um, I- At some point,
1: <laughs> it was a thing people
2: knew. I was doing some very early stuff with it. And um, uh, Mike Rundold, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Blyosity. Blyosity, yeah. Nice. Uh yeah. He and I are friends
0: and- um, All right, name dropper Jesus.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he and I are pals. I'll, I'll tell
2: you why.
0: And uh,
2: Koi Vin, you know him?
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> So uh I the name. Koi. I figured that was the New York Times.
2: Yeah. Well, Koi actually had a company called Behavior and um they got a client which was the Onion. Um and right. Koi reached out to Mike and asked him if he knew anybody that, you know, could do things on the web. <laughs> and could do uh, Ajax. Had yeah, sick
0: Ajax skills. Yeah. <laughs> the... And
2: it was like Ajaxy stuff and like, you know, uh. Web 2.0 stuff. And uh Great time to be alive,
1: man. Yeah, it's awesome.
2: <laughs> it was the future, and uh,
1: the future was then.
2: <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I was introduced to Coy, and Coy brought brought me on to help him out with the onion. And so we did that, and it was a kind of small team. And um, we redesigned the onion and re- rebuilt the front end of the onion, and. Um, it was it was great. People really liked it. It was a standards based redesign. Yes, you remember that era. Wait, Jeff Zeldman, this yeah. guy. Oh, I don't yeah. know so, this. What's so, that mean? So back then, um, most websites were made with like tables, and they sort of mixed the presentation and the uh, markup and the behavior. Um, and so there was a big push that w- one of whom, like the sort of sort of main character, was Zeldman. Um, who wrote a book? I forget what it was called. Something Web Standards? Yeah, Something Web Standards. He had a blue hat on an orange cover. So, a super <laughs> iconic book. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. And um, that inspired a lot of people to start doing these sort of standard space redesigns. Um, very few had been um, done at the time. Uh, one of the big ones was um, ESPN.com, mm-hmm. which Mike Davidson did. And that's what um i think the lead we were following and trying to to do that with the onion and um we did that and like i said it was it was um really well received and people loved it and one of the uh, one of the companies that actually really liked it was the new york times uh so they wanted to sort of follow the lead of the onion and uh reached out to Coy and other folks who had worked, that is hilarious worked on the onion and and that eventually um Led Coy uh, there, as well as a number of other people. And I joined us for like, uh, I don't know, six months or so. as like a freelancer, contractor. Mm-hmm. And helped them redesign the New York Times um, in a standards-based way. And we did that, shipped that. And then a couple years later, um, or actually shortly thereafter, not even a couple years, um, the iPhone was re- was released and... On stage, at the release of the iPhone, Steve Jobs demoed the like the New York, the, York Times. the New York Times and the redesign we had just recently done. So that was pretty cool.
1: For a second, I thought you were saying standard-spaced, <laughs> not standards-based. So I was like, what's <laughs> what's a standard space? I'm like, is this decoupling, markup, and... and Grids. And do, you rem- it's do you remember that? Like, but then you said standards-based.
0: Ah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Do you remember that company he worked for that launched satellites? It's that. (laughs) Oh, okay. Cool, cool. Spaced.
1: Yeah, gotcha. (laughs) All right, so you you contracted the New York Times Mm -hmm. launch. What was it like seeing that up on demo uh, when they launched
0: the iPhone?
2: That was pretty cool. I I mean, it was... um,
0: That was like the moment that changed a lot of people's careers, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, including my own. So, I mean, it was cool to sort of have that you know the the New York Times. Like I guess it was a was kind of a big deal for me. It it did a lot for my career, but I think even you know more so in that moment. I mean, even today, most of what I do is focused on building things for that device and you know understanding that ecosystem. So that was really that was special.
1: Yeah. So what happened after you've seen your your baby up on mm. the the demo stage? What happened next?
2: Um, you know, like I said, had a kid and.
1: Uh, nothing I, compared in the New York I, Times, though. Uh, yeah, nothing, nothing compared to the New York Times. For <laughs> New York a while. Times, Pivotal. Had
2: a For kid, a while,
0: eh. yeah. <laughs> it was the second one. Who cares?
2: <laughs> yeah, I had another. I did. <laughs> and um, then my wife and I decided we were going to move, uh, or we wanted to move, um, sort of away from the East Coast. And uh, I was presented the opportunity to work with sort of Accelerator, our incubator in Austin, Texas called uh, Capital Factory and that is the most accelerator name I've ever heard yeah I mean <laughs> we literally make capital
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep very, very Texas and uh, internet
0: brands Capital Factory mm-hmm. we're on, on a roll here on
2: the nose listen us old guys are not very cool Michaela can't take <laughs> much bullshit <laughs> things weren't always cool sorry
1: <laughs> things weren't oh man that's beautiful <laughs> You'll be saying that someday. That's going to be the title of your book. Yeah. <laughs> Things weren't always cool. <laughs> but now they're pretty cool.
0: Yeah, now they're cool. That's the only words inside it. <laughs> but now they're pretty cool. End. Finn. Finn.
1: <laughs> so were you were you debating between other places as well as Austin? Or was Austin kind of top of the list from the start? Um. Austin was pretty close to the top of the list. We, we
2: debated sort of coming out here, debated, you know, moving to, you know, New York City, um, which wasn't far from where we lived, but, you know, had more going on. Um, but again, wanted to get just sort of further away. Debated North Carolina, um, as I have some family there. But ultimately, uh, I was excited about this opportunity and, and, Austin loved the town, and also had some friends there already. Um, so decided to go that direction, and um, so worked out there for a while for Capital Factory. And basically, what my role there was was um, sort of advising startups on design and development. And so got the opportunity to work with us, lots of small startups doing lots of quick, fast things, which was really fun. And um, probably one of the like. Probably learned the most in the shortest period of time while there. Yeah. Um, Learned learned, uh, what hard skills? Lots of things, um, you know, sort of business and, and, um, you know, venture capital, uh, design and engineering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So a lot of the things that sort of, you know, are, you know, sort of primary topics of like our industry at the moment and just startup industry. Learned a lot of that in a very short period, and and so that was, like, sort of a priceless opportunity, but then started to get a little bit bored of um, not sort of finishing things, right? Like, um, no
0: sort of follow-through. That would get frustrating. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's, you know, double-edged sword, right? So, um, in Austin, at that time, um, there was a startup called Gowala, and they had— uh, you know, no one's ever heard of it. Started Once. to get some traction and stuff. And I had some friends who worked there. Um, so I decided to join them. And um, that was a company that sort of was competing in the check-in wars. Mm-hmm. I've never was also seen... also a very cool thing at the time. The a great company so, so <laughs>
0: beloved, like in the industry at least, like that failed. Well, I guess it didn't fail. It got acquired, right? Uh I mean, it failed, but uh, I mean, it wasn't beloved
2: because it was successful either, right? Um, it, it, was, it was beloved because we put sort of more time and energy into things than we could afford to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Interesting and way led on to way. As you do. <laughs> Inevitable conclusion, kind of. Um, yeah, what was that like at the time? The, the check in wars is like you guys and Facebook are forced to. Dude, wow! Facebook. Something's isn't in on, that on my war. mind. <laughs> you in Foursquare? You in Foursquare? Yes. We're I in the check-in in four What was that like? Was that crazy or? Um, I mean, not it? really. It no. was.
2: It was. It was pretty chill. We were. We were in Austin, <laughs> and I mean, Austin's a pretty chill town. So we probably didn't take it as seriously as I don't know. Perhaps we should have. Um, and again, that's what allowed us sort of. Um, to feel comfortable spending more time and energy on things that aren't actually, um, you know, growing the business, but we're- Hey man, it was really pretty. Thank you. Yeah, it was. It was was really pretty and it's really well built. Um, We put a lot of time into uh, like the entirety uh, of our software. And actually it's, in hindsight, I mean, one one of the biggest legacies we left behind is actually just, open source contributions to the community. Just yesterday, I was, like, Googling documentation for CocoaPods, which is, like, an iOS dependency manager. And in their documentation, their, like, examples were referencing uh, Gowalla and a Gowalla project, which is AF networking.
0: It's one of the biggest dependency managers, right? It's probably the biggest. CocoaPods? Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah and AF networking.
1: A- AF networking. is I, The
2: biggest is the, I think the most popular, one of the most popular projects on GitHub. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's by far the most popular, um, uh, project for, for iOS.
1: Oh, for iOS. Got it. Holy shit. I didn't realize that. Cause I tried to pick up iOS programming a little while mm-hmm. back. And like, that's one of the first things you pick up. It's like, oh, well, AF networking. Yeah. So what's eh. AF? It stands for Alamo fire,
2: which is a flower in Texas. And, uh, the orig- so Goala was um, founded by Josh Williams, mm-hmm. and he had, sort of back in the same days in the, the web 2.0, I guess, days or just pre-Web 2.0 days, standards-based web design days. He had a, uh, a sort of freelance contracting type company called Firewheel Designs. Um, that was really popular.
0: and like after the Pokemon move, is that was his name for? Uh, I just have to assume it was. Wait, what was the Pokemon move? Firewheel. Oh, really?
2: Interesting. It probably was. So that's interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that. Now that I think about it. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'll explain why. So We're
0: going from really like Firewheel literal this. names to Pokemon moves, and I'm getting really happy about it. <laughs> the story
2: of Firewheel is that it's named after another flower, I think, in Texas.
0: That's what um, he wants you to believe.
2: But what's interesting is a lot of what, so after Firewheel, um, or during It Fire- might be
0: Flamewheel. I might be off. Oh, that'd be sad. Mm.
2: Let's go with Firewheel. Uh, <laughs> Just I, I, I like of this story. story. We'll yeah. pretend it's accurate. Okay. Just follow along. All right, so <laughs> after, <laughs> Firewheel, after Firewheel, or during that, Josh um, had started, and, and a few other people who went on to work at Gowala, like um, Keegan Jones and John Kreitz and Scott Raymond, um, they had started... Um, a project called Blink Sale, which was like some invoicing software that got kind of popular. And then they sold that. And then with that, and I'm probably missing some things, um, went on to start a company called Alamo Fire. And that was going to be like a product company. And one of the products that they made, which may have actually predated the company, was called um, Pack Rat. And it was a card trading game for Facebook. And it was ridiculously popular and it was very Pokemon-esque. And uh, like I said, it was really popular and um, actually pretty lucrative, made a bunch of money. Nonetheless, though, it wasn't as, at least as I understand, um, the most fulfilling in that it was, you know, a game for Facebook. Um, so they kept playing with some other things and, and one of the things that they tried, which was sort of an extension of Pack Rat, was Gowalla. And um, it's how it came to be, and it's sort of right time, right place. They launched at South by Southwest the same year as Foursquare.
0: And I remember the stories of Goala at, at South by Southwest. Yeah. It's amazing how much that comes up. Every time. It's probably just the echo chamber of Twitter, but I feel like I hear about Gowalla at South by Southwest a lot <laughs> in like the old timey tales. <laughs> the old
2: timey Back tales. Back in my of day. By, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was one of the hits. There's probably two that I recall. Now, there's three big South bys that like sort of launched pivotal products. One was the sort of Gowalla Foursquare thing, and that launched um, you know again Gowalla and Foursquare. But mm-hmm. more importantly, like location based services and 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 so on and so forth. And the other was the Twitter year, which yep. was like 2007, I think. That's one
0: that stood out to me,
2: and I remember that South by going into it. I don't think I I think I had a Twitter account, but I don't think I was using it, and. And then at by, they had like plastered the walls with TVs that were displaying tweets in real time. And it was just super next level. And then I remember everyone at the event just started using it. One day while I was there, I went into Starbucks and there was Jack on his computer uh, at Starbucks, just like totally cranking. Jacked in. Got it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Trying to keep the thing alive. The other big South by was the uh, group messaging products. So like um, GroupMe and Beluga, I think it was GroupMe and Beluga. And Beluga went on to be acquired by Facebook and is now Facebook Messenger. So yeah, South by kicked off a bunch of really cool things um, for a period of time.
0: Crazy. Yeah, so where were we? It's weird to think about now.
1: (sighs) Yeah, it's really weird to think about. Like they feel, besides, you know, Beluga... Getting acquired and stuff, those feel like the biggest companies. Like Twitter mm-hmm. used to be just a small South by little yeah. startup kind of thing. Well, it's crazy. It, like
0: never took off until then, right? Yeah. Like they've yeah. been trying for a few years, I think. At that point, mm-hmm.
2: I don't. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't. I didn't recall that. I feel like it was, or they had been trying. It was Odeo, right? Yeah. Yep. And so yeah, they were trying a bunch of different things, but it was it wasn't Twitter. The Twitter part was fairly new, but. um, Obvious was the, the overall company, mm-hmm. right? Yep, yep. And yeah, they had tried a few products, one of which was Odeo, And then, um, uh, Apple, uh, sort of podcasting iTunes thing came along. And, it took
0: a while to catch up.
2: Yeah. And then there went Odeo, And mm-hmm. anyway, um, goala was a thing. And I went and worked on that for a while. And, uh, eventually, uh, Facebook bought them or we ran out of money. <laughs> Facebook got, uh, bought us up. And so a handful of us uh, moved out here and joined Facebook.
0: Yeah. Who'd you come out with? Hmm. Van Damme was there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No, actually. No? Um, uh, no, he didn't end up there at that point. He ended up there with Instagram.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting story, actually. Yeah. Uh, so only a handful of people um, actually came out to Facebook. And um, those were um, Josh... Keegan, Scott, um, Holly, Holly, um, Burns, Holly Burns, um, Keegan Jones, yeah, Keegan Josh Jones, Williams. Josh Williams, Scott Raymond, Holly Burns, um, Torben Primke, I think. Okay, and the names uh, are just for
1: our show notes, by the yeah. way, so we can link out. To <laughs> right on, yeah,
2: and uh, me yeah so that was that, and then um some uh, a few a few months into facebook, um they decided to buy Instagram, and by that point, a number of folks from Goala had gone to work there tim um and uh, <laughs> yeah Philip Mcallister,
1: little family reunion <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, so <laughs> family campus. reunion That's yeah. crazy, yeah. okay yeah, we've got our own little mini mafia, mm-hmm. which is fun. Um, I actually work with Scott today. So wow,
1: yeah, full circle. Yeah. Okay. So that was that was Facebook, and you were Facebook. there for eighteen months.
2: Yeah, I was there for um, for about that time, and then um, worked on a bunch of things there. First project was um, on Facebook Paper. Mm-hmm. It wasn't called Paper at the time. It was just uh, uh, Mattis had recently started there. And, Mike Mattis. Uh, Mike Mattis, and um, he had you know built this thing called Our Choice. And he was really passionate about um, Our Choice on iPad and what Facebook for iPad could be because I think at that point we didn't have an iPad app. And so he was sort of championing this project and um, somehow happened to, to fall into that team when I uh, got there and started exploring like paper for, for iPhone.
1: For context, what year was this? I think
2: 2011.
1: Yeah, Wait. paper came out that recently. Paper that's came crazy. no, paper came out in 2014. Yeah, it took a while. Did it Holy really? Shit, I don't. Yeah, paper didn't. Paper came ship out February while I was there. February 2014. Yeah,
0: that's right. I was
1: here then. The only reason I know that's because that's when I wrote the post about it. Anyways, crazy. So it took a long time. Damn! Wow. <laughs> so you were there before it even launched, working on it. Oh yeah, yeah, way before. Yeah, Can you talk a little bit about that? Like what what was going on, and why did that take so long to? eventually kind of hit market. They had to make it out of paper.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had to make paper and then make it out of paper.
1: Uh, so, I
2: don't know. I mean, I think um, there's there's so many reasons. I mean, it was a little bit um, idealistic in its goals. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, obviously that took a a long time to attain and there was a lot of trial and error in there. It went through an iteration of, again, it it sort of started as an iPad project and then it eventually became like an iPhone-only project. It competed with some other projects that never shipped. So there was a lot of like, you know, uh, back and forth where it would go from being paper to being uh, a whole bigger thing to being just a side project again to to being whatever, but... Mm -hmm. Mike stayed on it the whole time, um, and a few other folks stayed on it f- or, or worked on it for quite a while. That that was um, Joey Flynn and Brandon Walken. Did they come with him from Push Pop Press? No. I uh, thought Walken was. No. Um, Walken, I think, had worked at Apple and may have worked with Mike mm. there. But uh, a few folks, or I think it was just Kimon uh, uh
0: Kimon, yeah. It's yeah. Who
2: is who's an engineer? Um, he did the Pop library. Is that right? Yeah, he did Pop, and um, so there's a few actual like uh, open source projects that came out of Paper that have been really successful. Um, Pop, Async Display Kit, a mm-hmm. um, couple others, and uh, I think Kimon, um worked on a bunch of them. As so did Scott Goodson, okay, uh, as well as a, a bunch of others. But they're sort of the champions of this project so far as I. Recall
0: the only reason I know Kimaan is because I met him at a Daring Fireball live show a couple of years ago.
1: You've been to a Daring Fireball live show? Mm-hmm. Sounds awesome.
0: Daring Fireball and ATP. Interesting.
1: At, was it uh, good? at the mezzanine? Yeah, it's fun. So we'll come back to some of this stuff. You you worked through Facebook uh, for eighteen months, and then what happened?
2: Um. So the project I spent the most time on at Facebook was Facebook interface guidelines, and. It was a project that um, I had started along with Wilson Minor.
0: No one's heard of him. Yeah. Wilson. No one should have.
2: Hmm. He sucks. He's he's awesome. He's one of my favorite
0: people. Maybe if he was Wilson Major.
2: There we go. So Wilson, I started this thing, and um, along the way, one of of the sort of tools we used to sort of get support and buy-in on this project was to um, reincarnate um, the name of a project um, with similar motivations from years past at Facebook, which was called Facebook Interface Guidelines, and that project was led by a number of people, including uh, Sileo Cuervo. So, Sileo, when I joined Facebook, um, had just recently left, and um, but sort of had, uh, through this sort of project with which we had like a mutual kinship, somehow became um, friends and got to know one another.
0: Um, and he, it's so hard to be friends with Soleil. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, no, I'm saying like he's a very oh, friendly person. Yeah,
2: he's the friendliest guy in the world. Um, and he had just joined uh, Dropbox as the head of design. Mm-hmm. And so he convinced me to come over there. Um, so I did that. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> you went to Dropbox? So I went to Dropbox um, and that was a less interesting experience than I had imagined it would be. Um, so pretty quickly, I got bored and um, started to think about doing other things. And uh, one of the opportunities that had presented itself at the time was that Josh Williams, who um, had been the founder of Goala, was leaving Facebook. And so he and I started talking about trying to bring back some of Gowalla and um, working on some other ideas. So um, we started a company and I left Dropbox and, like, and I was there for like six months, maybe even less, I don't know.
1: And that was Lyft? That was Lyft,
2: yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> that would have been nice if it was Lyft. Wait, okay, then keep going. Um, so it was, it was called Last. <laughs> No, that's okay. I mean, I, like, I I I'm, I totally appreciate being credited with founding Lyft.
1: <laughs> uh, I feel like an idiot. I'm going to take my helicopter. Facebook out and Foursquare, <laughs> Lyft and Last. You're on a good roll. Uh, I'm on no roll. Last. Sorry about that. Last. It's
2: called actually the Last Guide Company, and um, one of the the ideas that we we're interested in was sort of reinventing the travel guide for a mobile world. So we worked on that as well. Some other ideas for um, about two years. uh, And we can go into any of that. But um, long story short is it didn't work out. Um, Sort of just wasted a bunch of time and burnt through a bunch of money, a bunch of people. Did
1: you guys raise money?
2: Yeah, we raised like $2.5 million, somewhere in that range. And yeah, and I think we hired a total of about 13 people
1: did that burn you on the experience of starting companies or is that something that you, you would love to or be interested in going back to at some point?
2: Um, yeah, no, it didn't, didn't burn me on it at all. Um, it was good learning experience and um, you know, it did some things right. Some things
1: really poorly.
2: All in all, it was pretty enjoyable experience.
1: Didn't end too horribly. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you did that for a couple of years
2: so did that for a couple of years, and then um, at the end of that, we, you know, started talking about you know new or, or past. You know, we were we were looking for acquirers and so on and so forth. And one of the the companies that came up was Airbnb because they were working on some stuff that was pretty similar to at least some of our founding motivations. And so, yeah, seemed like a good fit.
1: And you went to Airbnb. I went to Airbnb, and you've and been, there been there since about
2: six months now.
1: Nice. How's it going at Airbnb?
2: Good. It's it's a surprise. This is your performance review. Um, (laughs) Yeah,
0: we have some points of feedback. You you
2: just reminded me that I have some performance reviews too. (laughs) What?
0: It's Uh, February. Other people. This is your your like warning. (laughs) Heads up. He's coming for you. I
2: actually did everyone else's. I haven't done my own review yet. So. Hey, Adam. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so you know so you have a heads up yeah.
0: it's coming
2: yeah it's, that's what I'm here <laughs> for right
1: <laughs> actually I'd be kind of curious how you approach writing a self review because oh, I haven't had to write one in my life until this year and maybe there's other designers listening that have never written a self review and I found it to be like a pretty good period of introspection and like reflecting on the things you've done I don't know how do you feel about self reviews
2: well, let's talk about how you feel about it because I'm I'm interested. I actually don't um, put as much thought or intentionality as I'd like to really? say I do. Okay. Um, for some reason, I find it to be excruciatingly painful, um, and so it's sort of like so, sort of like flossing for me.
1: Um, <laughs> Interesting, because I floss every day. Wow. <laughs> We're finding our points of difference. Day, right. Oh man.
0: Uh yeah. For, this can only end well. You've written a self-review, Bryn. Yeah. Do you like him? The last one I did, I told my boss I was bad at my job and would never be good at it. Okay, so Bryn's hard on himself. Mm-hmm. No, I was right, by the way. That was for <laughs> that was for an analyst position. That was not for a design uh, position. Uh, uh, uh,
1: okay. Well, <laughs> dude, clarify that, please. I told my boss I'm a shitty designer.
0: But that wouldn't have the same like shock value. And you got it. Are you <laughs> happy? That was the
1: goal. There you go.
0: What did your boss say? She sent me to training out here and I met someone I looked up to and he hired me out here 3 months later.
2: Oh wow. That's a like ringing uh, rev- like review for performance reviews. Well,
1: endorsement sort of.
0: <laughs> Criticize <laughs> kind of, yourself. Get a, sent out here for training yeah. at Adobe. Bail on the training for a day and go hang out with people that are cool. Hey. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I think for me uh I get pretty caught up in the micro like the day to day. Um so at the end of 6 months to Actually, step back and say, "What's the micro added up to?" And in some cases, it was less than I thought. And In some cases, it was like, "Wow, fuck yeah, we sh- we ship some cool stuff." Um, and I feel like I don't step back enough to look at the macro quite enough, and I get pretty caught up in the day to day. And like, it was helpful to have this reflection of like, what shipped, what was what was a good way that I spent my time versus not what were the relationships I built, things like that.
2: So how has it changed your Uh, day-to-day?
1: Keeping, like, trying to understand its impact on the macro. Mm -hmm. Like, is something that I worked on today going to have a meaningful impact on something that we we can ship to to people to use? How do you do that?
2: Do you just reflect on a regular basis or write things down?
1: So I write down everything I do every Mm day. And I've started something. In a notebook, right? In a notebook, yeah. And I've started something which is, I'm not super keen on keeping up, But on Mondays, just writing down the top priorities for the week, and the problem is I haven't like followed through on those. But it's a pretty helpful framing the week uh, in a way. So yeah, it's definitely like changed workflow in in some way. We'll see when it comes to round two. You know how things have changed.
2: How often? Remind me how often Facebook does performance reviews? Uh,
1: Twice a year, I think. Sounds about right. Yeah. Does that sound like the for my zero context? I think that's a pretty good cadence. I mean, I'm still, I don't know, maybe quarterly.
0: Brian self reviews every day. So that's a different thing. Right. Mm. Thoughtful, nice boy. Nice boy, trademark. That's his new personal brand on Twitter.
2: <laughs> it is. I see it. It's in your eyes. He literally says nice boy <laughs> TM
0: on his Twitter
1: bio. So, what do you think about self reviews? You seem to maybe hold a different view.
2: I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion on them. Um, you just do them. I prefer feedback. Uh, more regularly. I prefer to um, like give myself feedback more regularly. I'm also extremely hard on myself. And so um, I think that's part of why I find like that semi-regular process so difficult.
1: The fact that you say I'm extremely hard on myself seems to imply that you know that it's like extreme in maybe a a bad way? Yeah,
2: yeah. So I have a very hard time um, believing I'm doing a good job at at anything, at any time. Um, So the great thing about that is it's sort of what pushes me to, you know, do more and do better. Hmm. Um, A lot of the sort of skills that I have come from that um, feeling of like, I should know that. Right, And I should be able to do that well. I should be the best at that. Um, the downside of that is it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> okay. How do you keep up, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, it's I, I put too much stress on myself, too much pressure on myself and never exceed my own expectations.
0: Okay. So do you think there was a source to that? This is something I've been thinking about a lot lately because I'm very hard on myself as well it comes from being a very, very lazy child and mm. like always believing that no matter how hard I work, I will always be lazy. So like I just constantly fill up my schedule with work stuff. Mm-hmm.
2: That's Yeah, that sounds familiar. I was similar as a kid. Like I said, I just spent a number of my teenage years sort of spray painting things and being told I was going to fail at life. So yeah, I think actually that actually drives a lot of it. Tips for people
1: that... This has been uh, counseling with design yeah. details. <laughs> uh, Therapeutic tips to people like Bryn. Uh, now that you've been through this for like a number of years, do you want to change that? Is it? Yeah, I've gotten a little bit better at it,
2: but um, I think, you know, like you said, uh, I also get caught up in the day-to-day. So to that end, things like performance review should be helpful to me but that's not usually what actually does help me like uh step back and reflect in a um, productive way. So yeah, uh, I think, I think like uh, it's something that I work on and, you know, I get better at, but I get caught up in the day to day and fall back into old habits. And how do
1: you step back and reflect? It's snowboarding. There you go. There you go. <laughs> can't think of a better way to do it. Yeah.
0: I would very much like to reflect with you. <laughs>
1: right. You want to go reflect this weekend? Yeah, uh, we could do that. Man.
0: <laughs> At some point.
2: Right. I know, it stopped snowing. I haven't been out in a few weeks and it's been snowing like crazy. And yeah, yeah. I finally got some time to uh, get out there coming up and it snowing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how weather works. Man. The hell weather. Yeah, Get it together. So one of the things that we've both been thinking about a lot, especially, Bryn, you can wait. in, is style guides. Okay. And especially designing them at scale mm-hmm. probably comes with some pretty crazy challenges. Totally. There's so, a lot of things you have to account for. Yeah. So how did you even start that? Like, is you and Wilson kind of picking up a little bit where, where previous designers had left off, but how do you even approach
0: a project like a style guide? For reference, had you done a style guide before that? Yeah yeah so working on um working alone,
2: you actually get really good at that, right because mm-hmm. it's the only way you can sort of get things done when you're trying to like maintain your own things and you're both a developer and a designer. you get really good at you know planning for change and sort of distributing change right throughout throughout the app. It's not like um Facebook where you have a team for every screen right like you have uh it's just you so. You have to figure out how to propagate changes and stay consistent. And so, yeah, I I think like it's something I've done a ton of and mostly on my own. And so at Facebook, some of the things that were frustrating to me there was just sort of the inconsistency in the product, the redundancy in the way we designed and the inefficiency in our design process. Um, One of the... uh, There's like a meme one year that was like the sort of great design block where I think at that time, Facebook was maybe like 30 designers and we're hiring really slowly, but I think we had passed like 10,000 employees and I think we had passed a thousand in like the engineering org and, and over a hundred product managers. And so everything was just sort of blocked on design at all times. And then meanwhile, I mean, one of the reasons that we were, you know, so, so part of the problem was we were just too small relative to the rest of these teams perhaps. But the other problem was we're all designing things in a different way. Um, and so everything just took twice as much time, right? Like critiques were painful and Reviews with Zuck were painful and um, things just didn't ship for a long time, right? Like we talked about paper and that took years, right? Um, And so we thought one of the ways to do that would be to build, you know, a design system to encourage people to design in a similar way, um, make it easier to sort of um, have more consistent output um, and then... Uh, also make it easier for sort of non-designers to come into the process, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of the sort of experiments and basic features that we might need to build or, or, or we were building and needed design support, we sort of thought maybe wouldn't need design support if we had a good system in place. Similarly, we had, you know, a lot of things that, in effect, were being designed by product managers, right, right? Um, they were determining like what the product was, what the feature was, um, what the requirements were, and were um sort of, you know, sort of leading the engineers that were that were building these things. Yet they needed a designer sort of just to make it pretty. And that's not sort of what we thought of ourselves as. Um but
0: That's not what anyone like any right. designer wants to be known for unless they're a visual designer, or an icon designer or something like that, right?
2: Right. So um, we thought, okay, for for these types of things where, you know, I mean, the the product managers were doing a sufficient job, right? Like designing the product and really did only need design support to make it pretty. What if we could just give them that for free, right? Like what if we could just give them a system where if they, you know, if they just follow these guidelines, um, they'll come out with, Something that
0: design would approve, right? Um, That's something specifically interesting to me because one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is not so we we have these Android knowledge lunches lately, mm-hmm. where the Android our Android developer is so good at what he does, he's exceptional, stands out. He wants to teach people about how Android works and like how we can work with it, but I think. The thing that makes people particularly successful isn't more knowledge; it's less decisions. Mm-hmm. That's what creates velocity. That's what creates right. a successful product really quickly. I mean, that's something I've been like kind of coming to is like we don't need more knowledge of specific like I guess vert- verticals of the product. We need less decisions being made. So like if you know what the general rule is, just that general rule is the right way to go. And I think that's where style guides really come in, and that's why I've been thinking so much about them right now. We're a small team. We need to be able to make product decisions without having to spend a lot of time making really detailed mock-ups of every single state. We just need to know how it works.
2: Yeah, and then you can spend, you know, your design energy and your talents on something that is actually
1: valuable, Right rather
2: than just creating another mm-hmm. sort of high
1: fidelity mock up for days on. So how do you break down that problem like where do you start when you have an inconsistent app people are working on things in different ways how did you guys even like break down this problem It's interesting so I've worked on similar projects you know like I said for uh,
2: sort of at the smallest scale just for myself and then at sort of medium scale companies like Goala right where we were like 30 people And then, you know, big companies like Facebook and Dropbox and now Airbnb. And it's sort of a different problem depending on the environment and the culture. And I don't know how much of it is that part of it is related to scale. At Facebook, we had, you know, those specific problems of like, we have a lot of product managers and not a lot of designers. We have a ton of engineers and not a lot of designers, right? And so we were trying to solve those types of problems, right, through this, uh, using this lever of, like, interface guidelines. Whereas at Dropbox, which was a large company, but was probably only, I think when I left, it was 250 people. So it wasn't that big. The product team was relatively small. They also culturally had, like, a, a very high degree of craft, right? Like people there are super talented and um, really sort of were hired on like their attention to design and their attention to detail. And so the idea of doing things in this way was pretty compatible with everyone there. And so part of the reason I, earlier I mentioned I was actually kind of bored there is because Doing something like this, a Dropbox, was actually trivial. Actually, I didn't even do any of it because it was sort of already underway and just took a little bit of, you know, sharing a little bit of knowledge, a little bit get a bit of guidance, and people who were already passionate and motivated about it just made it happen in a matter of days. And that was it.
0: Right? Was it stressful to you how like easy that was or No. I you mean sa- you sound dissatisfied with it. I, like, I think it was boring how okay. easy it was, but it All wasn't right. <laughs> stressful
2: anyway. Um, right. It just meant it meant that uh, it meant that the, the that problem wasn't actually like a problem to be solved. There wasn't a problem, it was, it was solved. Right? Mm-hmm. And so it meant trying to find other problems there that were interesting. Airbnb, it's actually really hard. Um, so, but it's really hard for very different reasons than it was hard at Facebook. Um, so, you know, here it's a lot about um, again trying to fit it into this environment and dealing with the the things that make it hard.
1: What makes Airbnb different than Facebook? What are the di- mm. so Airbnb
2: is interesting in that, um, or, or relative to Facebook, when I was there, it has a different type of design culture and a different type of engineering culture, and it also has different ratios. So there's actually quite a number of designers at Airbnb. I think in the, in the sort of experience design team, which is like the product design team at Facebook, um, there's north there's of 50 designers. And in total, it's like over a hundred people when you combine like, you know, sort of research and content and uh, production design. And then there's also a whole brand design team. And uh the engineering team is, you know, a couple hundred, few hundred, maybe. Um, on on like mobile engineering, I think we have like thirty people. Oh wow, forty okay. people. Okay. So the the ratios are a little bit more balanced than they were at Facebook back then. Um, also, the sort of composition of the team, like the backgrounds and the skill sets, are just very different, right? Like Facebook had a very specific type of designer at the time. Almost everyone had very deep software experience, um, uh, or big background in software, right? Like we talked about people like, you know, Mattis Mm -hmm. and, um, Brandon Walken and, um, there's a lot of folks with software experience and on the engineering side, um, you know, Facebook was huge, right? There's lots of people, but also they have one of the highest sort of engineering, um, you know, they're like a renowned engineering culture, right? Um, sort of like Google. Um, Airbnb is not so much of an a- engineering culture. It's uh, some people describe it as a design culture, which I don't know if it's that either. It's um, it's a little bit more, I think it is actually pretty balanced culturally. Um, it, it places value on sort of all of the disciplines, but does skew somewhat design-centric, right? Okay. Um, and so... It's a different shape of problem. Um, so what I do at Airbnb is called experience architecture. And for me, what that means is sort of bridging the world of engineering and design and trying to think about how we um, improve the experience of our product, um, not only through um, design, but through engineering
0: as well. So should designers code? Let's ask the real important questions. Oh, my questions.
1: God. <laughs> Stop. Well, let's
0: get right to the, the core of the problem. Please don't that's answer that question. I don't want to encourage I'd actually
2: it. love to get into that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we can do it if you want, but I want you to keep going on. Okay. Even just explaining what it means for engineering
0: to impact the, the user experience because that's something a lot of people don't think about. And a right. lot of people say that engineering is further from the user, but I firmly disagree with that. Yeah, totally.
2: Well, I think about... Um, when I think about uh, sort of experience, I think about quality, right? And when you think about quality, I think you can, um, you can sort of divide it into like the external characteristics of quality that you perceive and the internal characteristics of quality that you perceive. So external characteristics might be like, how desirable is it, right? And that's sort of the primary characteristic that we typically focus on within design um, or, or sort of design as a discipline at large primarily focuses on. Other characteristics is like how usable is it, which is also, you know, design tends to skew towards, but also how reliable is it, right? And um, like how efficient is it? Not only how fast is it, but like how, how quickly does it let you accomplish your tasks, right? And when you think about internal characteristics of software, you have things like, you know, how maintainable is it and how... Well tested is it? How testable is it? How like cohesive is it right? Mm-hmm. And when you map all of these things, you realize that you know one impacts the other, right? And often sort of a degradation in one of those internal character- characteristics results in a degradation of an external characteristic. so for instance, like a degradation of like the maintainability um, might you know, a reduced reliability. And the other thing to to think about with quality is quality is like perceived over time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, say this table. On the day you buy this table, like you'll have I built a, it. A thank bi- you. <laughs> you sure. built it, really? Just the top. <laughs> nice. It's beautiful. So well, let's not talk about this table. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, we built everything in this room, so.
0: <laughs> it's all made from scratch.
1: So let's talk about this, what this Soma water filter.
2: Um, so this water filter, right? Like you have a perception of its quality based on like its desirability, right? Like it's pretty. Um, you also have a perception of its quality based on like how much it costs, right? It costs a good bit of money. So like you presume it's higher quality. Um, you, have a presumption of its quality based on its materials, right? Like it's it's glass and not plastic. It's definitely know. plastic. Oh, is it? All right. So it's plastic, whatever. But we get, it's, we it's get, got a wood handle, We right? get the point.
0: That wood handle makes the difference. But ultimately- This is good but, audio quality. Co- it's real wood too, handle. I promise, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's real pine. I've never used one.
1: So I'm just it's, looking at it. Yeah,
2: they're
0: just one. on the street.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. So I was
2: like, That hell explains yeah. the name. Anyways. Yeah. So you ultimately judge its quality, though, after you've used it for whatever your expected lifetime is of this product and, you know, determine whether or not it fell apart, right? Like, was it reliable? Did it did it do its job? Was it useful, right? And so you've, like, perceived that over time. And then if you think about engineering um, and, you know, those internal characteristics and its effects on quality, challenge is that because quality isn't like just the perception of the product at any one point in time and you're constantly releasing these sort of updates to it, you can at any given point dramatically like degrade the perception of the product's quality, even though if at that given point of time it actually might be okay. Okay. Right. And so I think that's just how sort of, uh, I think that's like a framework that I use for thinking about Quality and thinking about experience and thinking about how engineering can impact it, as well as how design impacts it.
1: So, where does that land you at your day to day? Mm.
2: Well, so how that lands me at my day to day is that's sort of um, in some ways my responsibility is trying to figure out how we think about quality holistically and how we elevate quality holistically. So, again, like I said, in design, we often focus on and desirability and usability, right? And so that for, for us in experience design and for me particularly like leading this experience architecture um, effort, we also do the same thing. Desirability is a key characteristic, right? As is usability. And so we focus on things like, you know, improving our design language and, and sort of elevating our, our brand. But we try to do that in a way that is holistic, Right, that considers those internal characteristics and also considers other external characteristics. Like, not only do we want it to be beautiful, but we want it to be fast. We want it to help you get, you know, accomplish your task quickly. So, you know, it not only needs to be internally well factored so that it's fast, but it also needs to be inventive, such that it um, gets you, you know, helps you get the job done more quickly. Right. Right. Um, It's contextual, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that actually is largely informed by technology, right? If you have a better understanding of the capabilities of say these devices that we carry around for instance, or how those interoperate with the other, you know, digital devices in your world, you can help people get their job done more quickly.
1: Right. I have one more question
0: then. Supa. (laughs) what does it mean oh um is that an east coast thing it sounds like an east coast thing
2: it is actually (laughs) yes um in that so basically it's it's just a screen name that i've had since the dawn of time um so way back in the aol days um i think my original screen name was ec192 just like east coast like, nice. I don't know what the one on two stood for. I think it was just, I don't know. Um, eventually realized that like, oh, those alphanumeric names like aren't cool. Correct. Needed to come up with like a, a, another name. Um, I had a, uh, when when I was, you know, doing graffiti or tagging um, when I was younger, mm. I had a name called Sola and I wanted to use that, but I had gotten in trouble using that name. So I didn't, I couldn't use that, but it had like an S and the two O's. So I sort of was trying to put that together. And then I was listening to Redman.
0: Yeah. This is how all stories begin. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to
2: Redman. Uh-huh. And he had a song called The Super. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. It's the S-O-O. And uh, so I just adopted the name. And... Um, yeah, I was just a kid. And then uh, somehow it just became, uh, it stuck with people. People started using it in real life. No matter, <laughs> like, you know, like my wife's family calls me that. Oh, man. Um, my colleagues would call me that, even though I never,
1: you know. Do they shorten it? They do. To soups?
2: Some some do, yeah, yeah.
1: Soups, yeah. pretty cool nickname.
2: And so I just decided <laughs> to just stay with it. it's not it's not that cool
0: actually.
1: Soups, <laughs> soft soups. Soups,
0: that's a pretty cool nickname. Soups.
2: Well, if you preface it with Sup, it's not bad, right? Soft <laughs> soups.
0: It's, like, it's like how everyone calls Brian Nice Boy or like Jacob Thornton gets Trademark. called Fat.
2: Nice Boy sounds pretty badass because it sounds like <laughs> a uh, you know it's like the implication is you're not nice at all, right? Right? Like right? You're right. gonna you're gonna fuck somebody up, so. It's better than I, loving.
0: <laughs> I will
1: lead people to believe that. So don't mess with me.
0: Hey, it's trademark. <laughs> you can't copy it. Well, soups.
1: thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. This has been fun. Is there anything you want to plug before we go? Nope. <sighs> Simple. Mm-hmm. low well, we'll key. We'll plug Supa on Twitter. Sweet. Follow you. Chill. Thanks, man.
0: Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank Have you. a good one.
1: Have a good one. <laughs>
0: You've wow. never ended a wow. podcast like wow. that. Wow! Let me redo that. Yep. Talk to you later. Let me, let me redo that. <laughs> let me redo that. Wow.
1: <laughs> and I, leave, I've just been in that
0: mode today, okay? Leave
1: all this in, Sarah. Uh.
0: <laughs> Thanks for coming on.
1: <laughs> Yay, you did it.
0: Why did you ruin it? Shut up. <laughs> that was episode 102. Thank you for listening. It was wow. really awesome talking to Adam. If you enjoyed it, let us know. Uh, Leave us a review on
1: iTunes. Really, every rating helps us. Basically, it moves us up the charts in iTunes so new people can discover the show. We can hopefully reach new people. So, if you have anything to say, feedback for us, critique, comments, just open your podcast app, iTunes, on your phone or your computer. Leave us a comment, we really appreciate it. Otherwise, you can just hit us up on Twitter, we're at designdetailsfm, or you can check out some of our other podcasts on the SPEC network, we have five podcasts, all aimed at helping designers and developers like you level up.
0: So to listen to those, go to spec.fm and join our Slack team at spec.fm slash Slack. And after last week's 100th episode, we got a ton of Twitter messages and people just contacting us saying that they listened to all 100 episodes. And I cannot believe that. Thank you so much for doing that. That's You're crazy. You're an insane person.
1: Yeah. Can't thank everyone enough for listening. We really appreciate it. So, uh... Leave us a review, hit us up on Twitter, and chat with us on Slack. We'll catch you on Wednesday with Drew Wilson and Dan Petty.
2: Yay!